We're in Acts chapter 12 today. We closed out Acts chapter 11 last week as we uh, saw Barnabas go up to Antioch. And while he was up there in Antioch, he uh, was encouraging everyone, saw what was going on. The Lord was moving up there and he went and got Saul out in Tarsus. He said, oh, I've got to get Saul involved in this. So he goes and gets Saul, brings him back to Antioch, and they spend a year there in Antioch ministering to those that were there. So uh, that was just a great move of the Holy Spirit there. Remember, at this point, Gentiles were being saved. Uh, Peter had gone to the house of Cornelius and uh, prayed with them. They um, became filled with the Holy Spirit and Gentiles became saved. So the whole face of the church was changing now. Everything was different and it was moving very quickly. More and more people were hearing the word of the Lord and uh, were believing. We closed off chapter 11 with a, um, a prophet named Agabus that came and showed them that there was going to be a famine in the land. And Agabus had come from Jerusalem, so he was there where the, the um, church in Jerusalem with the apostles that were there and the church that was continuing to grow there from their teachings, uh, they were going to experience famine. As a matter of fact, the whole world was going to experience famine. So Agabus lets them know this is what's going on. And then um, Saul and Barnabas say, oh, well, let's take up a collection for them. And everyone wanted to participate. And everyone pitched in what they could to provide for the church in Jerusalem, uh, which you would have thought, hey, let's provide for ourselves. Well, they knew that they could provide for themselves. And they knew that there wasn't much farming going on in Jerusalem. So they were going to help that small church that was struggling uh, there in Jerusalem. And they sent uh, the money up there to them through Saul and Barnabas. And now we pick up in chapter 12 in verse 1. We're going to be introduced to Herod um, Agrippa, Herod Agrippa I. He is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, we know, was in power when Jesus was born. And he ordered all of the children to and under in Bethlehem to be killed because he knew that there was a king that was born there in Jerusalem, uh, in Bethlehem. So he wanted to make sure that he didn't come to power. Well, this isn't Herod the Great that's really doing that. It's Satan. He's trying to kill Jesus before he can take power because he knew Jesus is coming to take it all away. See, this is his world right now, Satan's world. But Jesus is going to come 
and take it all away from him. And that's going to be happening soon and very soon, I believe. But so here, Herod Agrippa is now in control. He's um, has Jewish blood. And so he observes uh, some of the Jewish customs and laws, probably all of them. Uh, he wasn't uh, like a Pharisee or anything like that. He was a king. And he lived according to Jewish law. He was also in charge of what was going on in Jerusalem, in Judea, all of Judea. He was the king over that region. And he wanted to appease the Jews because they didn't like him. But he wanted to be friendly as he could with them. And he was finding ways to get on their good side. And so we pick up in Acts 12 verse 1 where it reads, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. And then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So killing James, James was the brother of John, one of the twelve. He's actually the first of the twelve that was actually martyred. There were others that were martyred, like Stephen, and, and uh, others that were killed. John the Baptist was killed, but this is one of the apostles. He was the first apostle that was martyred. And when it says, with the sword, this inevitably means his head was cut off. Asubius was a historian, and he wrote, that at the time James had his head cut off and he was martyred for his faith, the guard, the jailer that was there witnessing his beheading, saw how he believed, what he believed and how he died, and he gave his life to Christ right then, and he was beheaded at the same time. Can you imagine someone being saved, watching someone being put to death, and he didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to repent. All he had time to do was put his head on the block and say, go for it. And so that shows you the power of the Holy Spirit reaching someone. And that still works today in that when we're talking with people, sometimes the most unlikely people come to Christ in a very unusual, but they're just quickly, they just give their lives to Christ. And so that's powerful. And here, you know, the enemy thinks he's getting a victory and, you know, killing James. Uh, he's not getting a victory. He's just strengthening the church. Verse 3, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. So he saw that, hey, the Jews were happy 
that I killed James, I'm going to take Peter also and I'm going to kill him because he's the big guy of the bunch, right? Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. And so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him up to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. So Passover is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There's seven days after that that the Feast of Unleavened Bread takes place. So it's a seven-day festival that they're having. And he arrests Peter sometime in the middle of that seven-day period. He isn't going to kill him then because the same reason why they put Jesus to death before Passover, they were trying to get him in the grave before Passover. The same thing here. They're not going to kill someone during a festival. The Jews don't do that. They don't kill Jews and uh, during the festival. They don't hold trials and stuff like that. So he was planning on, hey, the festival ends seven days after Passover. The evening of that seven days... It ends at sunset. And then the next day, he would bring him out and hold the trial and then put him uh, to death then. Peter was therefore kept in this prison. So it, it says, uh, going back uh, to verse uh, 4, it says that he was arrested and put in with four squads of soldiers. So that means there are 16 soldiers. Each of them have a six-hour duty to guard uh, Peter. So four of them would guard Peter, two inside the cell on either side of him, and then two outside of his door. That's besides the other guards that are in the prison. And they change every six hours so that they would be fresh. They'd be awake when they're guarding him. You don't fall asleep on watch. That is the most important Thing when, when Jesus was in the tomb, those guards were awake up until the angel came down and pushed the stone away, and they fell down as if dead, and really they just passed out. And, uh, you know, that's the, uh, the thing that they had to do most was to stay awake, and that's what these guys were supposed to be doing. So the four of them would be awake the whole time. And Peter was therefore kept in the prison. But, I, I love but, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. That changed, changes everything. Yeah, he's in prison, but constant prayer was going up for him. See, prayer is where the power is. See, there's a lot of things that I can and can't do as a pastor. I can't do, I'm, I'm not omnipresent. I'm in one place at one time. I'm not omniscient. I only know as much as uh, my wife tells me I know. <laughs> and, and I'm not omnipowerful but I know who is. I know who is. You see, and that's where prayer comes in. 
I can tap into the one that has the power and the ability, and he's everywhere. He knows everything going on. He even knows what you're thinking right now. He knows that some of you are saying, I'm hungry. Give me a break. It's, we're we're going to be done here in a half hour, and you can go get something to eat. So it says, and when Herod was about to bring him out, uh, that means the next morning he was going to bring him out. So this is the night before he was going to bring him out. That night, Peter was sleeping, bound between two chains, with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. They were keeping the prison. They were actively keeping the prison, meaning they were awake. They were doing their job. And he was chained between two soldiers and he had chains on his... Now, he wasn't chained to the soldiers. You see, that means that the soldiers would have chains on too. And, you know, that wouldn't be good for them. Uh, but he was chained to the wall. And the two soldiers were there next to him. Probably talking about the events of the day. Or, or maybe just daydreaming or whatever. Night dreaming. Because it's in prison. Now, they didn't have flashlights uh, they didn't have LEDs. They didn't. They, inside this room, it was probably pretty dank and dark. They may have had a lantern in there with enough light to illuminate. You know, you put a, a, a small lantern, even a candle in a dark room, and you can pretty much make out everything that you need to make out. You're not, you're not going to find a little bug crawling on the floor or something like that. But it'll be bright enough to where you'll be able to make out where the people are in the room. And so here they were keeping the prison. And now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison. So... Imagine in this darkness, an angel all of a sudden is standing by him. It doesn't say that the angel came in the door. It doesn't say that, you know, uh, there was some, he, he levitated from the, it just said he was there. Standing by him. And a light shone in the presence. It doesn't say that. The light came from the angel. It just says the light shone. There was a glow, all of a sudden light in the prison. Well, we can understand that. You know, you turn on, you know, one of those powerful little flashlights and it just brightens everything up, almost blinds you. Uh, well, here it illuminated in this cell. And I think they, you know, he probably could see the bugs now on the floor as this light just shines in the darkness. And he hit Peter on the side. It says he struck Peter on the side and raising, raised him up saying, arise quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. So here's Peter snoozing. And this angel goes up and smacks him in the side and says, 
get up and the chains just fall onto the ground. Do you know what noise the chains make when they fall on the ground? It's not quiet. It's loud. They're falling on the ground. Uh, you know what I, I, I see here also? He said, arise quickly. He didn't whisper, arise quickly. He, hi, good to see you. He said, arise quickly. What are those two guards doing? What are the two guards outside the door doing? Don't know. But Peter is like, huh? What's going on? And he raises him up and the chains fall off. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he, he was, you know, sleeping. He had his robe down. Girding means you take the robe and you tie it up, pull it between your legs and you put it in your belt. And so it becomes like shorts or a skort. You know, see, it was popular for the apostles before, you know, you women think skorts are, are in. And that was, no, they were doing that 1900 years ago. And he puts this up, he tucks it in, and he puts his sandals on his feet. And he said, put on your garment and follow me. And so he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Well, he's used to seeing visions. Remember, just a few weeks earlier, he was up on Simon the Tanner's roof and this thing like a sheet came down with a bunch of animals in it and and you know, he, rise, kill, eat, Peter, and oh no, not so, Lord. And, and, you know, so he's used to seeing visions, and he's used to understanding the visions mean something. So now he's seeing this happening before him, and he's thinking, oh, this must be a vision. This must be, why? Because an angel is standing in front of him in his cell, and these two guards are not doing anything about it. They're not trying to grab him and stop him from leaving. And so he's trying to grasp, uh, you know, the, the uh, whole situation here. And so he went out and followed him and did not know what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And so here is Peter going out the door, obviously, of the cell. The two guards that were keeping the prison were there. And so as he walked by, they were just standing there. He goes by the other posts, and they're standing there on duty. And then he goes to the gate. You know what kind of gates these were? You see, the angel didn't grab a can of WD-40 
out from his belt and go spray the hinges down so that the gate didn't make any noise when it opened up. You've seen the movies of these old prisons and everything, and when they open the gate, you know, and it'll make all that noise and everything. That's because they didn't have the kind of manufacturing that they, that we have today. And, and these things are handmade, and so uh, they make a lot of noise when they open and close. And so no one is doing anything, although these gates are opening and the, and the big gate opened on its own. Can you imagine? He's... So he's thinking, this is like that sheet thing that came down with the animals in it. You know, it's just a vision of something. It, it's weird. The, the gate is all. And, and so now he's heading out down the street thinking that, you know, this must be a vision. And I'm going to figure out what this vision is about. And suddenly the angel departs. And when Peter had come to himself... You see, he's completely, he's still, he's still in a fog. He took some Advil PM the night before. And, and so here he was, and he wasn't sure, you know, and he was a little cloudy. And here he was considering what happened. And when he came to himself, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. The expectation of the Jewish people was that Peter be put to death because he was an enemy of the Jewish people, just like Jesus was. You see, he was going around telling people that the only way to be saved was through Jesus Christ. And the Jewish people followed the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the, the priests, the scribes, those were the ones that had all of the pertinent information on how to have a relationship with God, how to get to heaven. You obey the law and you do your sacrifices and your tithing and so on and so forth, and that's how you get to heaven. But Jesus changed all of that. And then they put him to death. And then... Peter is in their face. Remember, right after the day of Pentecost, he was out there in the street on the day of Pentecost telling them, you know, you guys messed up. You killed the Messiah. You know, but there's still hope. And 5,000 of them got saved. You know, so here's the good news is that we can still be saved even if we're bad people. And all of us are. Oh, we're not maybe bad by the world's standards. But from God's standard of perfection, we fall short. We're not perfect. And that's the only standard that matters. Is God's standard. And so when we realize, you know, we're in trouble without a savior, then that's where we get to the point of having a savior, receiving him and accepting him as our savior. So Peter is out there doing that. 
He made enemies of the Jews because he's telling people that they can have a relationship with God through the Son, Jesus Christ. And the Jews are livid with him. They want to stop this message too late. The message got out and it's spreading all over the world. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And so Mary is the owner of the home uh, where they had the Passover dinner with Jesus. It was John Mark's home. And so Mark actually wrote the book of Mark. He was in the garden when uh, Jesus was arrested. He was there. He, he has a little story about being there and then running away after his clothes were pulled from him. And he was the one also that went with Saul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. The same Mark. The same John Mark. And so that's the home that they're all at. And they're all there praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. She had her own TV show years later. But when, when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. And so this wasn't a metal wrought iron type gate. This was a wooden door type gate. And, uh, and so Peter's out there knocking on the door and let me in, let me in. And Rhoda goes out there and says, Peter, is that you? Oh, how exciting. And she runs back into the building. Instead of letting him in, she's so excited that she runs into the building. And uh, of course, she's not going to be well received there. Uh, she ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. And so they said, it is his angel. So this goes back to the idea that even then, in the early church, they were still slightly superstitious they still had customs and stuff that were carried down from the jews and and um, so they still didn't have a good grasp see we have the full gospel we have the full word of god and so we can read the full word of god and we can understand that there are angels and how they interact with us in our lives at that point, they were thinking, oh, it's just his. And so to them, it sounds like they thought that a person's angel sounds and looks like them. So, you know, and, and that's the easiest way to put it. Okay, so I feel bad for my angel. But, you know, it, it's just the fact that that wasn't true. That isn't reality. But they didn't understand that at the time. And so they're just dismissing her. 
saying, oh, it's just his angel. Now, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. They opened the door, and there he is. There's Peter. What were they doing? They were praying for Peter. See, and I believe that they were praying more fervently for Peter than ever before because James had just been put to death. And so when Peter was arrested, they figured the same thing was going to happen. And so they were gathering together and praying fervently for Peter that, you know, God would somehow save him. So why were they shocked when God actually did what they were praying for? Well, don't we do the same thing sometimes? We pray for something saying, oh, Lord, it would be so nice if you did this. Oh, God, we really need this. And then it happens. And then we're like, oh, wow, I'm glad I had that insurance. I'm glad I went to that doctor. I'm glad, oh, man, that was a good doctor. Really? Maybe he is a good doctor. But was it because we were praying that he actually did his job right? Because I know many good doctors that make mistakes. And we can pray and pray and see the results. We can pray for a bad doctor and have good results. Because that's what we're praying for. But here's the key thing about prayer. I know you're hanging on this because I just said the key thing. And, and you want to know, what is the key thing? Does pastor have a secret? No. But it's the word of God. If you're in line with the will of God in your prayers, they're going to happen. According to his will. Not according to your timing. Not according to how you expect things to happen. But if your prayer is in line with the will of God, then you're going to see fruit. You're going to see the prayer answered. And quite often we pray for things with such detail that unless we see exactly what we detailed in our prayer, then we think that the prayer isn't answered. But whenever God answers prayer, it's always for his glory. It's always going to produce glory for him. And so when we pray, we should always pray with that in mind. What do you want to see happen in this situation, Lord? What do you want to see come out of this? Because I know for me, you know, I'll pray with people about something and the next thing, you know, everybody's, oh, Lord, you know the situation. This person's doing this and this person did that to that person and this person. Like, you have to tell God the details because maybe he doesn't know. Maybe you should send him an email. But you don't have to do that because he already knows the details. So when we pray, we can pray assuming that God knows everything that needs to be known, and then we can pray for his intervention 
and to produce the best results. Sometimes the results aren't what we expect, but they're the best results in the long run. James had his head cut off. Peter was in prison, waiting the same result. So who was better off? I would say James. You see, he's in the presence of the Lord. He's not going to worry about being in prison. He's not going to worry about anything that's going to happen the next day or the day after. He's in the presence of the Lord. And so he's got the best of both situations, right? Peter, he's still thinking. You know why Peter was calm about all of this, though? You see, Peter was told by Jesus when he would die. He said, when you're young, you're going to gird yourself. You're going to go wherever you want. But when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands. And they're going to take you where you don't want to go. And so he knew that when he was old, that's how he would die, would be by being arrested and being killed when he was old. He was still young at this time. And so he didn't really have a lot of fear at this point. He just figured, okay, whatever God does, that's what's going to happen. Wouldn't you love to know the day that you're going to leave this earth? Wouldn't, yeah, not me. Not me. If Jesus is coming back this week, then oh, okay. You know, but, I, you know, I, I don't want to know the details. I'll live out my life until he either comes or I leave. Uh, but he's the one doing the work. So when Jesus told him this, it says that he spoke signifying what death that Peter would glorify God. You see, you don't think of it that way. Oh, I'm going to die and it's going to bring glory to God. Wow. I, I'm, I'm not sure I understand how that works. But I think that's for each of us as we live for him. And we continue in verse, I'm looking here, verse 10. Is that where I'm at? No, I'm not. Sorry. I have to turn a page every once in a while. I have these notes up here for some reason. So it says that Peter continued knocking. They let him in. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go and tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Different James. Okay, this is James, the brother of Jesus, that he's saying, go and tell that James. He was now instrumental in the church. At the time of Jesus' death, he wasn't a believer, but he became a believer. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what happened, uh, had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. And so 
He said, where is he? And the guards were like, we don't know. Uh, someone was awake. It looks like all of them were awake. And he's gone. They don't know how this possibly could have happened. And so he put them all to death. I'm wondering if any of them got saved before he put them to death. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, and they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. And so Judea supplied food to Tyre and Sidon, and so they were asking, they were trying to be nice and asking for favor with the king. And so on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. Now, when you're dressed in this royal apparel, they it's um, blue, rich blues and reds, and, and they are, are sewn together. The thread was actual silver and so as it's wound in the garment and everything the sun would shine off of him and he would look like he was shimmering in the sun it would reflect off of all the silver in the outfit and and he looked godly you know as he was out there giving this oration and the people kept shouting the voice of a god and not of a man. And then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. That's horrible. Unless you like worms. But uh, it's horrible just thinking about that. He died. It, Josephus wrote about this, and Josephus said it took him five days to die. Uh, so, not, not the greatest way to die. Everybody ready for lunch? So, it, it says, by the word of, uh, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Regardless of all this happening, the word of God was being spread, it grew, it multiplied. Here in the United States, we're kind of immune to the word of God. There are many places in the United States that preach. We have 12 churches here in Fountain Hills that preach the word of God. We have some that don't. But this is a place where you can go and hear the word of God. You can hear it. And you can understand, well, for the most part, you can understand what the Bible is being taught, uh, what, what the Bible teaches. And so when we see the word of God spreading, generally it's under persecution that the word of God spreads the most. So if you look in other countries and you see how the word of God grows there, as in China... We have a missionary family from Thailand that are visiting here. And uh, they, the word of God grows in these places that don't have 
big presence of the word of God. And you just share it with them. Oh, yeah, they may be reluctant to it. But you know what? When you share it and they get it, they're all on board. The Holy Spirit moves powerfully in those places. It, but it could be a place like where Jeremiah is. And, and he preached and preached and no one got saved. He spent the whole time, his whole life, preaching and no one gets saved. Folks, it doesn't matter whether or not people get saved. That's not up to you. It's not up to you to get people saved. That's God's job. The only thing that's up to us is to share the word with them. They get to decide what they do with it. And we're not supposed to stop even if no one believes. We're supposed to continue teaching. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem to Antioch when they had fulfilled their ministry and they also took with them John whose surname was Mark. And so John, Mark, Barnabas and Saul go back up to Antioch. They see they were there for the days of unleavened bread for Passover for the celebration. That was one of the ones that were requirement for um, every Jewish man to be at if they could. And so now they're going back to Antioch. They're going to start again. But where's Peter? We don't know. He, he left. He went off somewhere on his own. Herod dies. And God continues to do his work. We are here 1900 and something years later continuing the work. We are the continuation of the book of Acts. And so nothing has really changed in that we're supposed to be out there sharing the good news, spreading the gospel so that people can hear about Jesus and be saved. And we live in a time where people don't give glory to God, but we have to. We have to give the glory to him because if we try to keep it for ourselves, if we try, oh man, that guy is such a good teacher. He's so, you know, and I hear this about some of the national teachers that are out there on the stage and everything. And, you know, oh, that, that he, every time he speaks, it's a powerful message and so on and so forth. And you're giving glory to a man. It's God that deserves the glory. If you like anything I say here today, it's because of the Lord. If you don't like it because it convicts you, it's because of the Lord. And it's not because of the person delivering the message. It's because of the messenger who has delivered the message to you. I'm just the instrument he decided to use today to speak to you today. And so let's give him the glory Anytime we hear a message that speaks to our hearts, that encourages us, that blesses us, let's give him the glory because he deserves all the glory. Amen? Amen.